welcome to episode two of Women in the Word at Uni. It's so good to have you with us today as we explore God's Word together. Well, I have a question for you. Do you like to be clean? I really hope you answer that with a yes. If you were 10-year-old boys, your answers might be different, but I really hope that as young women, you have a fairly established sense of personal hygiene and cleanliness. As you may know, my background is nursing, and if you're studying nursing or you know any nurses, you may well have observed that nurses have a fairly acute sense of cleanliness drummed into them. You see, hand washing has been shown to be the single most effective means of preventing the spread of germs in hospitals. It's so important that the World Health Organization recommends what's called the five moments for hand hygiene in healthcare settings. This means that a healthcare worker needs to wash his or her hands, one, before touching a patient, two, before a procedure, three, after a procedure or a body fluid exposure risk, four, after touching a patient, and five, after touching a patient's surroundings. So that includes their bedside table, their curtains. It can even include their bedside chart with their notes in it. Now, what this means is that in one 10-minute encounter with a patient that a nurse or healthcare worker may actually wash their hands around five times or maybe even more before moving on to the next person. It's no wonder nurses get really dry hands. Now, it all may, may seem like overkill, but it really is worth it. So next time you see a nurse wash her hands, go and say thanks. She's trying to stop you from getting the bugs from Mr. Jones next door. Being clean in a hospital is extremely important. Healthcare workers need to have a very high standard of cleanliness. Now, in today's passage, we are going to meet some people who also have a very high standard of cleanliness. However, their issue is not so much with trying to avoid disease as with how to be clean before God. The issue at stake in today's passage is that of cleanliness, and the question is, how can someone be clean before God? The question for each of us might be, am I clean enough for God? Now, I encourage you to open your Bibles with me. Pause the podcast if you need to so that you can read along and know that you're hearing the words of Scripture and not just what I think. We'll be reading from Mark 7 verses 1 to 23, and I'm reading from the New International Version. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is korban, that is, devoted to God, 
then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Again Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me everyone and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. The first people we meet in today's passage are a group of Pharisees and law teachers from Jerusalem. They've come a long way to be here. In the passage that's just before the one we read today, we see that Jesus and his disciples are in a place called Gennesaret, which is in the north region of the Sea of Galilee. I looked this up on Google Maps and it told me that this is 169 kilometers away from Jerusalem. Google Maps also told me that this would take about one day and 11 hours to walk because we're remembering, of course, that they didn't have cars back then. So these guys have really made some effort to get here. And effort is one thing that they do well. In verses three to five, we learn they've got a range of procedures that they observe every single day. They wash their hands before they eat, and it's not just a run-of-the-mill hand wash, like I might send my four, almost four-year-old off to do before a meal. This is what we call a ceremonial hand wash. In particular, if they've been to the marketplace, they would not think of eating without washing first. There's no takeaway food truck meal on the run for the Pharisees. And they have traditions for washing cups, pitchers and kettles too. They're really big on effort. They're really big on cleanliness. And why is that? Well, it actually dates back to some of the really early books in the Bible, particularly Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. If we put them together with Genesis, they form what's called the Pentateuch, or it's the first five books of the Bible. In these books, God places the people of Israel in a privileged position. He sets them apart as his particular special people in a relationship with him that is unique from the way he relates to any other nation on the earth. In the Pentateuch, God outlines his covenant with them with them, and all that that would entail. Now, what this covenant is, is an agreement between God and the Israelites about the way that he'll relate to them and the way that they are to behave. Now, there are a lot of very specific laws, but Leviticus 19 verses 1 to 2 sum up the reason well. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. God has given his people a whole range of rules and laws affecting every single area of their lives so they could live as his unique people, his holy people. The laws are part of the covenant, the agreement, which is actually a gracious provision of the almighty, holy God providing a way for a sinful people to have a relationship with him. And these laws included particular instructions about cleanliness, physical cleanliness. In Exodus 30 verses 17 to 21, we read this. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a bronze basin with its bronze stand for washing. Place it between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Aaron and his sons are to wash their hands and feet with water from it. Whenever they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water so that they will not die. Also, when they approach the altar to minister by presenting a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash their hands and feet so that they will not die. This is to be a lasting ordinance for Aaron and his descendants for the generations to come. Then in Exodus 40, verses 12 to 13, we read, Bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance to the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then dress Aaron in the sacred garments, anoint him and consecrate him so he may serve me as priest. Now, did you catch the significance of these washings? They were to be performed before someone entered the tent of meeting, which was basically at that time the equivalent of what we would call church today, but even more sacred. It was a physical place to go to worship God. And if the washing wasn't done, the person would die. This is hugely significant. God is so holy that for the Israelites to try to approach him, but without having performed the appropriate cleansing in the precise way God had prescribed, they would die. So it's no wonder then, is it, that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were concerned that Jesus' disciples weren't washing their hands properly. This is really important stuff. So why does Jesus rebuke them? After all, isn't it good? They want people to approach God in the right way. Isn't it good that they honour God so much and hold him in such high esteem that they want the disciples to be clean before him, the holy God? But Jesus says in verses 6 to 8, He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah to them, which we find in Isaiah 29 verse 13, where God is condemning his people, Judah, for their outward appearance of worship, but hearts that aren't really following him and are instead following their own man-made rules. And this is fitting here for the Pharisees because for all their appearance of piety and godly concern for people's cleanliness, the rules they're imposing are not actually the rules that God commanded. You see, when we read the verses from Exodus 30 and 40, did you catch the mention of someone called Aaron? Aaron was the brother of Moses, the guy who God used to free his people from slavery in Egypt in the book of Exodus. God appointed Aaron and his family to serve him as priests. They had the particular role of serving God in the place of worship, the tent of meeting, and later in the tabernacle. And the rules about washings that we read in these verses are actually specific instructions that apply to Aaron and the other priests, telling them what they needed to do before they could enter the tent of meeting. There were specific instructions to a specific group of people to be applied in a specific setting. However, the Pharisees and teachers of the law of Jesus' day have added to God's laws by making these priestly ceremonial washings a rule for all the people all the time. They're insisting that the people do something that God actually never instructed them to do. Not only this, but Jesus says they have let go of the commands of God in order to do so. They're subverting God's laws for the sake of keeping their own. Jesus gives an example. He quotes from scripture again, and this time from Deuteronomy 5.16, 
honour your father and mother, and then Exodus 21.17, anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. These are some of the laws God gave for the way that his people were to care for their family members. However, the Pharisees have instituted their own rule. They had a rule that said if there was a discrepancy between a vow someone had made and a commandment of God, the vow took precedence over the command. This meant that if you had vowed to devote some money to God, and this was given the word Korban, that that took priority over any other commandment. So if a man or a woman had an argument falling out with mum or dad, they could actually avoid fulfilling God's command to honour their parents by simply devoting their money to the temple. Now, do you see how this is a problem? Do you see how they've devised a scheme that kind of looks good, it looks pious, but it's actually really rotten underneath? Doesn't it look good to say you're devoting money to God? But if it's just an excuse to avoid caring for your parents, if it's a way to disobey God's command to honour your parents, do you see how this is in fact dishonouring to him? Do you think that God delights in offerings of money from this kind of motive? It would be like robbing a bank and then giving all the money to the church in the belief that that makes the act of robbery okay, as if the ends justifies the means. And you do many things like that, Jesus says in verse 13. For all their appearance of piety, goodness, righteousness, the Pharisees and teachers of the law are really sadly way off track. Now Jesus takes the opportunity to make sure the crowd following him know exactly how what he's saying should affect them. Listen to me everyone and understand this, he says in verse 14. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. And again, reinforcing the message for his disciples in verses 17 to 19. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. It's not the things of people or the people you might have touched out and about in the marketplace that make you unclean. It's what's in your heart. Now, this is not to say that washing your hands before you eat is not a good practice. If I have a cold and cough on my hand and then I shake your hand and then you go and eat something, chances are you're going to get my cold. You're having a direct pathway for my cold germs to go straight to your body. Now, scientists, of course, like to study this sort of thing. There was, in fact, one study that found that mobile phones have 10 times more of the germs that cause nausea and stomach issues than do toilets. It's pretty scary stuff. And you might want to go and wash your hands now before you pick up your sandwich if you've had your phone in your hand. You can get physically sick from what you take into your body. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about being clean or unclean from bacteria and viruses. And neither were the Pharisees. The Pharisees and teachers of the law weren't just concerned about people catching a cold or a stomach bug. Both Jesus and the Pharisees are essentially on about the same thing. They're concerned about where we stand before God. However, the Pharisees believed that a physical lack of washing made people unclean before God. But Jesus is saying, no, that's not what makes us unclean before God. As Jesus says in verse 19, what we ingest with our food doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. It doesn't go into their heart, he says. It's our hearts that he's concerned with that will affect our cleanliness before God, not our stomachs. Read along to verse 20, he went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, 
malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. The proof is in the pudding, we might say. Our hearts, our attitudes, our thoughts and the actions that spring from them, they're what make us unclean. They're what God is most concerned about. They show where we really are at with God. True cleanliness before God is shown by the heart, not by outward ceremony. As much as the Pharisees and teachers of the law want to insist that it's the ceremony that makes us clean. So as you read this part of the Bible and as you listen, I wonder, does what Jesus says here feel like good news or bad news to you? Are you relieved to hear that if you eat your sushi or your muffin or your wrap on the run without washing your hands properly, you're not rendered unclean before God? Or does it actually feel a little bit like bad news? Perhaps it makes you wonder and perhaps even worry about some of the bad thoughts you might have had might even have as you listen here now. Maybe you just saw someone walk past wearing a pair of shoes that you really like, that you're a little bit envious of. Perhaps you just got an assignment back and you did pretty well and you're feeling a tad proud, but maybe, maybe even a whisk arrogant about it. I knew I was going to do well on that one. I deserved that mark, you might have thought. I really am pretty good at this, aren't I? Where does that leave you before God? Are you clean or unclean? You see, this passage leaves us with the big question, am I clean enough? Because the passage answers this question by saying true cleanliness before God is shown by the heart, not outward ceremony. And sometimes as we examine our own hearts, this might seem to put us on shaky ground. This might seem to make our standing before God uncertain because God knows exactly what is in our hearts. He sees our unclean thoughts, attitudes and feelings. He is well aware of the jealousy we have of other people or the way we're struggling to forgive someone or the bitterness we might be holding on to. He sees it. He knows it. And he doesn't like it. All these evils come from inside and defile a person, Jesus says in verse 23. Well, I want to propose to you that this part of the Bible and what Jesus says here is actually really very good news. That the fact that true cleanliness before God is shown by the heart, not outward ceremony, is very good news indeed. But it's not good news because of us. You see, if it were up to us, it would be extremely bad news. That question, am I clean enough, is one which we could never, ever, ever answer with a yes. The very good news, though, is that Jesus answers it for us. Jesus answers it on our behalf. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, the perfect Son of God, is the only person who has ever been of himself able to answer yes to the question, am I clean enough? We, on the other hand, never ever could. But when we trust Jesus, when we trust that Jesus died on the cross, he took our sins upon himself. And if we're trusting in him, we can be made clean. So am I clean enough? Well, of ourselves, we can only answer that with a no. But if we're trusting in Jesus to save us from our sins, it's as if he comes along with a great big rubber stamp and stamps a giant yes over the top of our answer. Am I clean enough? Well, in Jesus, it's a resounding yes. But 
as much as this is really good news, we sometimes like it the other way, don't we? The way of washing our hands to make ourselves clean. We live in a culture that esteems hard work, that praises the self-made man or woman. We like to do something to contribute towards our salvation, don't we? We like to have something to do, to feel like we've earned our salvation. Well, doesn't that perhaps make it feel a little bit more secure? Surely it's too good to be true to be saved without working for it, without doing anything at all for it. After all, isn't anything worth having worth working for? Well, perhaps in this instance, the hard work for us might be to accept the fact that we, that what we do with our hands can't contribute to our salvation. The hard work for us might be to accept that we can't do anything to make ourselves clean before God. And the great news of this is that as Hebrews 10.22 tells us, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Am I clean enough? Yes, so you can come to God, the holy God of the universe, who accepts nothing less than holiness, knowing that Jesus has made you clean. Don't miss out on this privilege and joy by trying to hold on to your own attempts to cleanse yourself. You simply can't do it, but Jesus can, and he did. And if you're already a follower of Jesus, that's, there's more good news for you here. You see, when Jesus lists the things that come from inside and defile us, we might wonder, what if I think a sinful thought? Does that suddenly make me unclean? Well, the good news for you here is that Jesus' death covers you. As 1 John 2, 1-2 says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, this is not to say, though, that we shouldn't try to avoid these sins in the first place. Ephesians 5, 1 and 8 to 11 tells, tell us, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And then verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. God has cleansed you from sin in Jesus. Leave that life behind and imitate God. Seek to be like Him. Now this might mean making some changes. If what's inside our hearts is what makes us unclean, we need to be thinking carefully about what goes into them. What enters your brain? What fills your thoughts? What consumes your affections, your attentions? Now, media in all its forms is a big part of life for many of us, and it is something that we really need to be careful with. Have you ever noticed, for example, the way that many movies or TV shows that include some kind of romantic plotline build up the sexual tension in the story in such a way that by the time two characters fall into bed together, you're actually happy for them? Happy that the moment that the plot's been moving towards has finally come to fruition. Well, in the verses we've read today, sexual amorality and adultery, they're two things that Jesus lists in the catalogue of evils that he says come from within and defile a person. Sure, you might not be falling into bed with someone yourself, but your brain and your heart might be saying it's okay to do so. Your brain and your heart 
might be being subtly convinced that the behaviour of the couple on the screen is not just okay, but that it's actually good. Is that thought pattern going to be helpful for you? If you're seeking to have clean thoughts that please God, thoughts that uphold and esteem his commands for sexuality, his standards for purity, are those thought patterns going to be helpful for you in a present or perhaps future relationship? Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, we read in Ephesians. Watch out for the subtle lure of the media that makes you accept those fruitless deeds as okay. Have nothing to do with them. Well, we started today by thinking about cleanliness. We started by thinking about washing our hands. If you have ever seen or read or perhaps even studied Shakespeare's Macbeth, you might recall that there's a scene in which Lady Macbeth incessantly wanders the halls of her home, scrubbing and rubbing at her hands in an attempt to remove a spot of blood that she perceives to be on them, but she can never, never ever remove it. She can never satisfy herself that she's clean no matter how hard she tries. Well, the good news for us is that if we trust Jesus to cleanse us, no spot remains on our hands. No spots remain in our hearts. He washes us completely clean. So we can be truly clean, not by outward ceremonial hand washing, but inside in our hearts because of Jesus' sacrificial death in our place. Jesus, the perfect one, he makes us clean enough. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, the perfect, holy, spotless Lord Jesus. Thank you for his death in our place that washes us clean if we trust him so that you look at us and you don't see our sinfulness anymore, but you see his perfect cleanliness instead. Lord, please help us to live lives of holiness in grateful response to all you've done for us, to live as people who imitate you and therefore who show your glory to those around and about us who don't know you yet. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.